Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I welcome each of you to our service, whether you're attending here in person or joining us by live stream. I also especially want to welcome our visitors this morning, again, whether you're here in person or joining us by live stream. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite those of you who are here in person to turn to the folks around you and greet the holy among us. And for those that are on the live stream, to do the same in the comments. Please join me in our words for lighting the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship. The prophetic task of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. To grieve in a society that practices denial, and to express hope in a society that lives in despair. Walter Brugman. One of the ways that we've stayed connected with one another even before we could be back in in person is that this church has a mission. We have a shared purpose. It it guides our decision-making and all of our ministries and programs. We wrote it together and we put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. And each Sunday, to develop a deeper understanding of that term, beloved community, we have a moment for beloved community. Well, a lot of us have been very upset, though not exactly surprised, by the not guilty verdicts that a white man who shot three other people, killing two of them, received. There's so much to talk about there. But what has really been on my mind is that if that had been a 17-year-old black guy who crossed state lines with a AR-15 and shot three people, killing two of them, I'm not sure he would have gotten to trial because the police might have just given him his verdict right there. And then if he did get to the trial, I think the outcome might have been very, very different. Oh, 
told you you would cry So just look at them and sigh And know they love you And can you hear Children's hell will slowly go by and feed them on your dreams. The one they pick, the one you know by. Don't you ever ask them why? If they told you you would cry, so just look at them and sigh. Let me tell you how important our stories are. Once there was a rabbi who, whenever he sensed that his community was in danger, would go into the forest in a very specific spot. He'd light a fire, offer up certain fragrant incense and pray a specific prayer. Every time, without fail, his prayer was answered and a miracle occurred. When that rabbi passed the mantle on to one of his disciples, that person went into the woods and they lit the roaring fire and they sprinkled in the incense, but they couldn't remember the exact words to the prayer. And they said, God, this is going to have to be enough. And they dwelled in faith. And lo and behold, the miracle occurred and the people were saved. In the next generation, another rabbi took on that role and went into that specific spot and said, I don't know how to start a fire. But I'm here and we need the help. And lo and behold, the prayer was heard and the miracle occurred. In the next generation, the rabbi had forgotten the location, didn't know how to light a fire, couldn't remember specifically which incense or the words to that prayer. But she simply went before the God of her understanding with a request, and lo, behold, 
the miracle occurred. This story illustrates the gifts in holding our history and continuing to show up to the traditions that have supported us and supported our people throughout time, but showing up as we are, as this moment in history. Doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you need. Or what you're going through Don't you hold it all in Cause everybody ought to see Don't let your truth be drowned out Yours is a voice we need We need to hear you We need to know you Show us your dance Cause everyone ought to see Sing out your song now, tell us your story, live in your own way, be a part of our history. It doesn't matter where you go, it doesn't matter where you've been, or who will shut you out, cause we are gonna let you in. Doesn't matter what you know, you are fruit from our family tree. Chop your truth to the rafters, yours is a voice we need. We need to hear you, we need to know you. Show us your dance, everyone ought to see. Sing out your song. reading today comes from Joy Harjo, a member of the Creek Nation and Poet Laureate 2019. Remember. Remember the sky that you were born under. Know each of the stars' story. Remember the moon. Know who she is. Remember the sun's birth at dawn, that it is the strongest point of time. Remember sundown and the giving away tonight. Remember your birth how your mother struggled to give you form and breath. You are evidence of her life and her mother's and hers. Remember your father, he is your life also. 
Remember the earth whose skin you are. Red earth, black earth, yellow earth, white earth, brown earth. We are earth. Remember the plants, trees, animal life who all have their own tribes, their language, their families, their histories too. Talk to them. Listen to them. They are alive poems. Remember the wind. Remember her voice. She knows the origin of the universe. Remember you are all people, and all people are you. Remember you are the universe, and the universe is you. Remember all is in motion, is growing, is you. Remember language comes from this. Remember that dance language is, that life is. Remember. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. Some folks meditate. Some pray. Some experience the presence of the divine as they understand the divine. And breathing together, we feel the loving presence all around us and the loving presence radiating out towards the folks watching on live stream and their love radiating back to us. Breathing together, we enter into a time of sacred silence together. Let us enter that time of silence now. May all who shared this sacred silence this morning be blessed. I am from grassy open fields, from Fritos corn chips and banana seat bicycles. I'm from the little house with asphalt siding and a yard full of mud mounds the crawfish built. I'm from the pecan trees at my grandparents' house. The generosity of those trees overwhelmed us year after year. I'm from holiday tag football games and warm hugs. I am from Robert Leo and Hattie Ann, my grandparents. I'm from laughter and playfulness, from going camping in the East Texas piney woods. I'm from You Are Loved and Boys Don't Cry. And don't sweat the small stuff. I'm from traveling the country and the world. I'm from Groves, Texas, and Boykin Springs State Park and the best cornbread dressing ever made. I'm from the man who could never stand still and jingled his keys to everyone else's great distraction. I'm from that man's, my grandfather's pocket knife his domino sets, and my grandparents' maple living room furniture. All of these treasures have his initials or name engraved or written on them, along with what was my grandparents' address and phone number. All of these treasures now reside in my home office here in Austin, 
as well as in the depths of my heart and soul. In our small group ministries and other programs this month, we've been exploring the spiritual topic of holding history. What I shared with you about myself and my history just now is one of the spiritual exercises some of us have done this month to remember and reclaim at least a part of our histories. You can do the exercise yourself by doing an internet search for I am from poem template, which will bring up a number of template variations, or I'm happy to send you the one I used if you would like. I think that holding our histories, revisiting them from time to time, is vital for us as individuals as well as communities and societies. Getting our histories right, embracing all of it, the mundane, the joyful, the painful, that for which we are proud and that which we might wish we had done differently, those histories tell us who we have become. And trying to hold our histories accurately can help tell us who we would like to be becoming. The Akan peoples in Ghana have a word, Sankofa, symbolized by a bird with its head turned around to take an egg from its back. The Sankofa bird illustrates a proverb that loosely translated means, it's not taboo to go back and fetch what you have forgotten. The thing is, so often we get our histories wrong, sometimes because we were taught false things about ourselves and our world. We can end up forgetting our truest selves. So again, from time to time, it can be vital for us to re-examine the histories we've been telling ourselves. Here are just a couple of examples from my own life. I was told by the little church we went to when I was growing up, as well as by others in my life, that I was sinful because I had same-sex attractions. That was not true. I know that now. But it got implanted as part of the history I told myself for many years, even if unconsciously. I had to go back and fetch the truth remember my own inherent worth, unlearn that false history in order to be able to live and love fully. Now, another false bit of history that I was told while I was growing up was that I could accomplish anything I put my mind to. Now, ignoring for a moment how the fact that I was gay kept me from accomplishing some of what I put my mind to at times in my life because of the discrimination I encountered from others, this also was simply not true in general for me or anyone else's history anyway. I did well in school and made good grades. I had the privilege of being white and male. I've since learned, though, another aspect of my history that I didn't realize at the time that we were, at best, lower-income working class when I was a teenager. And because of that, opportunities opened up for some of my schoolmates from wealthier families that weren't made available to me, such as invitations to attend more prestigious higher institutions of learning. Besides, none of us are great at every single thing, and accepting that this is okay is a part of reclaiming our history. 
Research has found that we often show ourselves far less compassion than we do other people when we tell ourselves the narrative of our own histories. And this harshness on ourselves can lead to anxiety, depression, other forms of distress. So it can help, for instance, when thinking about our history to turn our narrative toward when we have succeeded or been kind to other people. It can also help to offer ourselves the same forgiveness we often give to others when we ourselves fail or just find we're not so great at something. Arthur, author Madeline Johnson writes about reframing how we view our histories. She gives the example that her parents would never accept her earning anything but an A-plus in school. As a result, she would beat herself up any time she remembered making even just an A during her time in educational systems. As she's grown older, though, she's reframed that narrative to realize she loves learning for the sake of learning itself, not for some grade she may or may not make or have made. Her new frame is as a lifelong learner. Personally, I seem to be incapable of creating drawn or painted art, even if it only involves depicting a simple stick figure. But that's okay, because, hey, at one time I directed some absolutely fabulous stage productions, so that can be my artistic history. That, along with the truism that ministry is an art, not a science. It can help to also let go of our regrets from the past. We can learn from them, we can make amends if we need to, but we can't change them. We can have nostalgia for our past that can inform our present, but it won't change our mistakes. As British author Aubrey de Graff wrote, don't cling to a mistake just because you spent a lot of time making it. Finally, I want to close out talking about our histories as individuals by touching on how psychologist Ronald Alexander says we may be able to use mindfulness techniques to deal with some of our more upsetting memories. So what he says to do is to get into a comfortable position and for a few minutes simply concentrate on your breath flowing in and out, in as out, as we do during our services. After a few minutes, when a greater calmness comes over, bring the upsetting memory to mind. Let yourself feel the original feeling for a bit. But then, imagine yourself being drawn upward and backward by an invisible source that deposits you in a balcony seat from which you can gaze down at the drama before you. Be aware that you're writing the script of this play now and begin to rewrite it. Imagine there are people around you expressing support, smiling, encouraging you. As you continue your breathing, rewrite the scene to unfold in a way that alleviates your discomfort and makes you feel reassured of being loved and accepted. Now, I'll admit to being a little skeptical at first, and I'm not sure this type of technique would be advisable with more severe negative memories such as trauma. However, Dr. Alexander's and others' research has shown that for less upsetting memories, these types of mindfulness techniques can reduce their negative power and help us dwell less on them when thinking about our past. 
Now I'd like to turn to how we tell, or importantly, do not tell our true history as a society can become harmful to everyone in that society, as collective liberation says, even the more privileged folks. Now let me begin by sharing an example of kind of the opposite of where I was going there. While Germany is certainly not completely free from racism and anti-Semitism, the country has managed to stay informed of its history of Nazism and the Holocaust. All of its arts, television, film, routinely refer to and acknowledge Nazi history as the evil it was. The country pauses to perform public rites of repentance around events such as the liberation of Auschwitz. There are also famous stumbling stones, small brass plaques placed throughout the cities to denote where Jews and other Nazi victims last lived. Now what if we in the U.S. did this, started being honest about our societal stories? What if we more often told the unvarnished history of our treatment of women, for example? What if our histories included more women and people of color? What if we more often told the truth about how the Texas Rangers here in our state lynched and murdered thousands of Latinos? What if we told the stories of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer folks? We who are white, gay, cisgender males might start by recognizing that it is an African-American self-described drag queen who started the Stonewall Uprising, which catalyzed a movement for all of our rights. Yesterday was the annual Trans Day of Remembrance. It is a beginning on truth-telling, but far, far too few people are even willing to listen. Too many people don't want the real histories to be told. And while the U.S. does also have positive narratives to be told, there is too much history we refuse to completely acknowledge. We don't tell the true story of genocides committed by the U.S. against Native Americans and others. We don't tell the true story of slavery or that the land that was given that was that was promised to former slaves was never given to them we don't talk enough about jim crow or lynchings of african americans or african americans who fought for our country and then were denied the benefits of the gi bill afterwards we don't talk enough about redlining and real estate or modern day voter suppression and on and on and on it goes instead we tell myths Myths like enslaved people never rebelled because they were, quote, comfortable in the role. That is a lie. They did rebel. In fact, the legal concept of whiteness and race in the U.S. came from wealthy plantation and business owners' desires to prevent indentured whites and African-American slaves from joining together in rebellion as they had done. We tell myths like the civil rights era ended systemic racism or that there is no slavery happening in the U.S. still today. In fact, several million imprisoned people, mostly African Americans and people of color, are forced to provide their labor labor for the profit of others and for little or no pay. 
Sadly, recent research has begun to find that the traumas all of these folks I've mentioned experience can be passed down genetically across multiple generations, as well as through cultural practices developed to try to help protect themselves and their loved ones. The harm just gets further extended to more and more people. But what if, like Germany, we began to tell these histories honestly? If we engaged in public rites of repentance? What if, like Germany's stumbling stones, imagine if we placed markers on all that was built by enslaved African Americans in this country? What if more of us visited the National Trail of Tears and learned more deeply about the devastations that were inflicted upon tens of thousands of Native Americans as they were forcefully displaced from their homelands? What if we put brass plaques at all of the places where far too many of our trans-siblings' lives were taken from them? If we were to tell these histories truthfully, truthfully, holding them up against the values we claim as a country, might we begin to enact policies that dismantle oppressive systems and change people's lives for the better? Might we begin to see how these histories and systems have been and continue to be harmful even to those of us who also enjoy some form of privileges from them? And yet, one recent poll found that 43% of conservatives do not want public schools to teach about the history of racism in the U.S. Now, that's not critical race theory that was recently used for for political gain in the Virginia election and that our senior minister Meg pointed out a few weeks ago is not even being taught in public schools. No. No. These folks do not want the history of racism mentioned at all in our schools. Such truth-telling would threaten systems of oppression and supremacy now, wouldn't it? So, my beloveds, we must be the voices that call for our true histories to be taught and discussed. We must proclaim that telling our histories is a part of how we all heal. Our histories are a huge part of how we construct ourselves and understand ourselves, both as individuals and as societies. We might say, then, that distorted histories distort our very souls. So, we best get about bringing the truths of our history to light, then, Our collective soul has some mending to be done. Now, please join me in our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. As we near the end of our service today and prepare to return to our daily lives, May we hold on to our individual histories as well as our histories together. They are what shape us and help inform us of what new shapes we might wish to take as we go forward. I send you much love. I wish you much peace. Amen 
and blessed be. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.